This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from Queens College in the City University of New York. For more, visit theannexpodcast.com. Okay, should I start? Should I start? Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Okay, well, for my banter item, I want to discuss a great paper that I saw last night. So disclaimer, I did read the paper, but like I looked at it last night and this morning. Uh, it's from an economist at UCLA named Carolina Artega, is it? Or Arteaga? Gabe, do you, uh, do you oh, know, her? Is she I know her? I think I think she might be a student. I'm not sure. In any case, it's a great paper. I want to preface this by saying I have very strong priors that probably influence my opinion <laughs> of this. So that's the disclaimer. But uh, if you're like me uh, and you've ever been frustrated by the way that people seem to underestimate the value of like actual skills acquisition, part of that part of university education, you might like it too. Basically, what she did was she looked at a curricular change in the economics and business program at the University of Los Andes in, in Colombia. And basically what happened was uh, they cut a half a year off of the curriculum. The The old curriculum ran four and a half years. They cut a half a year off uh, to make it four years. And so there's like a nice field experiment, right, where we find the value of uh, what's actually learned, the skills acquisition of school versus the signaling part, the, uh, the credentialist uh, uh, side of perceptions of uh, a university degree's value. And uh, a lot of time didn't pass, right? So it seems unlikely that the quality of the incoming students didn't change or the reputation of the school didn't change. Well, she change. says that explicitly. So what ha- I'm reading the abstract, and she yeah. says that basically they were just as uh, good of students coming in as before as measured by test scores and you know high school uh, exit exams, I guess the equivalent of the regents exams you guys have in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But she finds that wages fall by like 12 to 16 percent. The the students who were in the abbreviated regime uh, earned lower wages. And she digs a little deeper and she looks at hiring uh, at one of the program's top employers, the Central Bank in Colombia. And what she finds is that fewer people made it through the recruitment process. And she I guess she the theory is, is that less curriculum hurts students' chances of getting a top job. And that's why you see a dip in the wages. And I love that finding. Okay, so I have two, I have like two questions, right? Because I I haven't had a chance to read the article yet. So number one, I'm interested in what year, like in what year were these data collected? Because for example, there's some kind of exogenous like financial shock or what have you. That could be part of what, what explains this, right? Um, You know, we have fewer positions open. We're going to be tighter about how many people we hire and wages Mm -hmm. are just going to go down naturally because of that, number one. And number two, I'm wondering whether or not that finding translates to the United States. I mean, I think that we might argue that, you know, uh, there are many different tiers of universities and colleges here in the United States, and many of them are just credential factories. So those are my points. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it's in 2006 Okay, it, it is when the change happened. So it wasn't, yeah, I guess we're looking at uh, either 05 and 06 uh, cohorts. Yeah. So that actually does mean that these are students who are entering the labor market around the time of the uh, you know, economic downturn. 
Well, I think it started to level off in 07 was when things happened in the United States. I don't know what happened in Colombia, right? Yeah, what was the uh, Colombian economy like in 2006? Off the the cuff, I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to assume that, you know, I mean, it was a global economic downturn. So I'm going to assume that they more or less suffered the same thing everybody else did. But, you know, this this resonates with one of my views is that, you know, the credential will get you in the door uh, for the interview. But at su- if, especially if you're dealing with the type of selective employers where they really put their candidates through the ringer, I could see uh, diminished skill leading to fewer people succeeding and landing those ultra competitive jobs. I thought it was a nice design. Um, for me, the just skimming it, the main question I had was that it seems like the employers knew that the curriculum had changed. Yeah. And so there was, there's like a little bit of pollution there in the, in the treatment, right? And so the question is whether they applied a, I guess I would wonder whether they applied a, a higher standard because they knew that these students had, uh, had been taking less economics than before. You know, it's, it's one of the, that, that seems to be the main potential short circuit in the, in yeah. the design. It, it definitely increases your, you know, it, it's solid. It, it's good evidence for the human capital hypothesis over the signaling hypothesis. And I was more or less on team signaling before this, but, you know, it kind of gives me a mixed opinion precisely for the reason, but not, you know, decisive nail in the coffin type thing uh, for precisely the reason that Kieran said that, you know, if you decrease the amount of human capital acquisition in a public way and everybody knows it, then it's mm-hmm. not going to have the same thing of if you did this somehow where it wasn't salient to the, uh, the employers. Well, I'm not an expert on hiring. And, you know, the only real experience I have is in faculty hiring. And I draw analogies through there. And and my feeling is, is that once like a a person's credentials might get them that interview, but once the person is in front of you, they become sort of a three dimensional person. You you compare this to faculty. I mean, let's say that we learned that, um, uh, I don't know, let's pick a school that uh, the University of Chicago stopped requiring their PhDs to take first year stats and that stats became completely optional. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. that might make uh, it a little bit less appealing to hire somebody from uh, University of Chicago. Yeah, but if, like, let's say, okay, Duke has great people teaching stats, no flattery intent, but you guys have some great people there. But I'm not going to assume that somebody is a stats whiz coming out of Duke unless I actually see a paper and they're, you know, they're demonstrating the skills that I assume that they'd acquire. That's my thing with that. We could talk about the specific paper, but we could also talk about the broader issue of um, signaling versus human capital acquisition. You know, there is some good evidence for the signaling hypothesis, but, you know, one of which is credential inflation. If it was if it was yeah. all human capital uh, acquisition, you would expect to see, you know, really substantial economic growth as the um, the education level of the population rises. But that's actually less strong of an association than you'd think, especially once you get beyond the literacy level, right? I mean, literacy and numeracy does make people more productive. But, you know, once you get beyond more or less an eighth grade education, I'm not sure if there really are effects. And I've seen evidence that um, education seems to be much better at explaining stratification within an economy than it does at showing differential levels of development or economic growth between economies. Yeah, it's very hard to predict growth in general, right? Like the R squared is low on on all of these things, and there's a bazillion factors. I don't know if a general rise. I mean, I know that there's a hypothesis that it spurs development, but uh, when I'm thinking of hiring, yeah, it's more of an internal thing, and, and it's more of a question of who gets the jobs that are being produced. Mm-hmm. 
So you treat treat the 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 supply of jobs as fixed and see who ends up getting them. And uh, I don't know. I that that that's my view at least is that I think skills if they don't have an impact at the selection point, I think they do have an impact during the early stages of someone's career when they're trying to uh, establish their trajectory within their field after they get a foothold. Like, I wonder if that happens in the academy, right? Like, let's say uh, a gold-plated PhD does get you a job just by virtue of the signaling aspect of it. I don't know if it could carry you all the way to promotion or to, uh, you know, gaining stature in the field if you're not actually trained well. Well, something that's kind of like this is um, Azulay's paper, Superstar Extinction, where he he does this it's What's a study that? of the life sciences which are nice because they're really well indexed um, and he looks at if you have like a really hot shot advisor um, how does that help you not just get a good job but carry you through your career and and then he kind mm-hmm. of you know he's worried about like you know is it endogenous so he looks at what happens when your hot shot advisor di- dies in a car accident or, you know, something like that, that you wouldn't be able to predict and you wouldn't be able to price in. And because otherwise you'd worry that like, you know, okay, professor so-and-so won a Nobel prize, but he's a hundred now and he's senile. And so he's not getting the kind of students he used to. So in order to avoid mm-hmm. that, um, the, you know, death could be priced in. Um, Azale looks at people who die unexpectedly in accidents and, you know, or even homicide, but most people it's accidents. And he shows that actually your career does suffer. Uh, after your hotshot advisor unexpectedly dies, but they, that's, oh, that's not the same thing as saying that these people were incompetent, right? I mean, I think if you have a superstar advisor and you're totally incompetent, you're not going to get a job, um, or definitely you're not going to keep a job. Um, but it does seem that having a hotshot advisor can help somebody who's good become even more successful. Well, can we agree that it's probably a mix of both, right? I mean, there's some. There's some credentialism going on. There's some like hotshot advisorism going on. And then there's, and part of it is, is about skills, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's not an either or proposition. Yeah. Now we can argue for days, I think, about which counts for more, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, and in which, and over which outcomes. But, but yeah, I mean, I also, one of the, like one of the things that, this makes me think about, and we can totally table this conversation for another podcast, but you know, what are the skills that we're supposedly teaching students, right? And I think particularly undergraduates, right, at the college slash university level, right? Um, And how many of those skills um, uh, actually do translate um, into like, you know, sort of higher levels of productivity, um, and, you know, into higher levels of workplace performance. There's this weird thing that we do teach a lot of skills that are just like, well, you got to have so many classes in order to call it a degree. And this is stuff that may be, you know, valuable scholarly knowledge, but doesn't have much practical upshot for most people. And then there are other skills that we teach that do have a practical upshot in the workplace. And I feel like a lot of students, those are the classes they don't like, right? Look at like, like yeah. <laughs> if you look at a sociology degree and you think of like, okay, of all the skills we teach, which ones are marketable? I don't think, you know, comparing and contrasting ideas of a bunch of guys who all lived around World War One is a terribly marketable skill. Whereas I do think statistics is a marketable skill, but uh, the students hate taking statistics. I'm going to push you on that a little bit because I actually think it's not... 
it's not the fact that these are all men who lived at a certain time. It's the fact that they have to read through this incredibly dense material and actually parse out arguments and compare and contrast. I mean, I think that's that's a skill, right? Um, the extent to which they have to think critically about these things and the extent to which we make them write about it. Um, I don't know about I don't know about you all, but many of my students are not the strongest writers. In yeah, the I feel like you're being very optimistic about to what extent students, uh, <laughs> you know, you know uh, first of all, read the material, you know, and second of all, uh, I mean, it, it, one of the most depressing things in the world is you look up your own, you know, you look up your class because you're trying to find last year's syllabus and the first thing that comes up is some paper mill or um, test bank website or something like that. Uh, speaking of, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but my solution for that, uh, because the, the test banks won't honor your request to take stuff down, is I just make up fake exams that would be really hard to study for, oh, and then I upload them to the test bank myself <laughs> so that the students are just studying gibberish. Okay, so if any of you out there are planning on taking a class with Professor Rossman, yeah. um, make sure you're careful. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, just study the, your lecture notes and, you know, uh, don't go to some test bank because I will get you. <laughs> You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. For more information, visit theannexpodcast.com. Music is by Lena Orsa. Our production team included Anika Chowdhury and Lisette Moreno. On behalf of the Annex team, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>